0: Alright, good morning, good to see you, happy Thanksgiving, looks like we've got um, some traveling maybe some away, some visiting maybe, um, So, uh, but it's a, we have a lot to be thankful for uh, and it's a great uh, time of year when we all um, set aside a little time to be thankful to the Lord and one thing to be thankful to the Lord for is the Holy Spirit indwelling us, so um, that's what we're going to look at this morning. Okay, let's bow before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that we can be here, indwelt by your Holy Spirit, alive to the influence of the Holy Spirit. Um, and we pray that you'd help us to ponder and to be challenged and, uh, to know what it means to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to be filled by the Spirit, and to bear, um, fruit uh, of the Spirit um, as well. So we pray that you'd help us and guide us as we uh, look at these things according to your word, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this uh, lesson, it's on um, discipleship, and we're taking that for the school year. Um, uh, discipleship, we started in September. We'll go till May. By the way, the discipleship groups um, are going to last until May, and then we'll take a break for the summer. I think we're going to do a Bible memory, um, during the summer, and then, um, in the fall, the elders will decide what to, what, where to go, uh, from there. Uh, but anyway, it's a, it's a focus for the church on discipleship, what it means to be a disciple, and to, to make disciples too, to grow, and to help one another to grow. And, uh, so this, um, message this morning, Corresponds to uh, one we've had in our booklets already, which was entitled, Properly Adjusting to the Holy Spirit. Properly Adjusting to the Indwelling Holy Spirit. And um, that's something you have to do when you become a disciple. Uh, Scriptures are very clear that when you become a disciple, you've got something new in your life, which is the Holy Spirit living inside of you. So how do you live in that new way? How do you adjust to living in that new way? With uh, the Holy Spirit, it's a very big part of being a disciple, and it's one that I hope you uh, ponder, um, is how do I live with the Holy Spirit? Um, it's an important aspect um, of it. So this is um, Properly Adjusting to the Indwelling Holy Spirit Part 2, because I did cover it, um, what was it, three weeks ago, something like that. Um, and uh, I'll give you a little review, as I remember it, what we covered last time. About adjusting to the Holy Spirit. And I started out with this, that um, you are a spirit. You are a spirit. And I started with that because I I think that touches on the aspect of our being by which the Holy Spirit makes his presence known and his influence known uh, to us. So you are a spirit. The uh, scripture talks about that. What does that mean? Well, mostly it just means that you are a self. It's a synonym for other ways of referring to the self. It means you're a person, means you're a human being. Um, But to call you a spirit focuses in on one aspect of you being a, a human being, and that is your ability to influence and to be influenced by other people, other persons, in subtle but powerful ways. And so um, I think that's the way in which the Holy Spirit um, interacts with us. He interacts with our um, spirits. And um, there's a, at least an analogy of what that's like um, is just part of what it means to be a human being. So we talk about things like peer pressure uh, or group morale or a bad version of it, a, a mob mentality, where you're um, influenced in powerful ways, but in ways that are a little bit hard to explain a little bit hard to put into words by other persons and the atmosphere that being with other persons creates. And uh, I think that's um, helpful towards explaining what it means to be led by the spirit, to be filled by the spirit, to be under the Holy Spirit's um, influence in your spirit um, or as a spirit uh, to walk by the Holy Spirit. And I've been reminded even in studying for this lesson, how hard it is to put into words What does it mean to be led by the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And I've tried to kind of think about putting that into words. In fact, maybe I'll open it up to you and you can think about what to say um, to put that um, into into words. But uh, it means something like to open yourself and cooperate with the influence of the Holy Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, to be filled by the Spirit, um, to give yourself to the things that he cares about, expecting his help to come along the way. Expecting that uh, when you when you do those things, it's not just yourself. What you see is what you get. But you're stepping into a current of the Holy Spirit's power um, within you. And and to live by the Holy Spirit is to be expecting that, to be living in His presence, and certainly not to be fighting against it. You know, you could be part of a group that has a certain group morale, and you say, well, I'm going to be a contrarian. I'm I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be influenced by it. the people around me, and it'll kind of work. It'll kind of work. You know, you can you can kind of resist it. Um, and it's the same with um, the Holy Spirit. And so to walk by the Holy Spirit is to give yourself um, to that uh, influence. I, and so I, I talked about some of that last time. Um, I also emphasize that the Holy Spirit is a person, is a person. And so I use, I use the word current to walk by the Holy Spirit is to sort of step into the current of, of the things that the Holy Spirit um, cares about. Current is the wrong word because it gives the impression of an impersonal force. And, which is what a current is. Um, but um, the Holy Spirit is powerful, but he's a person. And so it's more like a relationship. It's more like being with someone who brings out a certain side of you that you don't have, or it's not as as uh, prominent when you're not around them. But when you're around them, it, it brings that out of you. And that's, of course, an imperfect analogy, being around another person. The Holy Spirit is God. But that's a I'm trying to, to uh, go towards um, what being influenced by the Holy Spirit is uh, like in, influenced by his indwelling presence. The indwelling presence, not of a force, impersonal force or a current, but of a person. And so walking with him is is uh, living in a relationship um, with him and being pushed along like in the give and take of a relationship um, uh, in that way. So um, that's kind of a review roughly, of what we covered last time. And I got a very helpful comment from one of you right after um, I went through last time about um, the Holy Spirit. And uh, one of you said, just as feedback, well, it almost sounds like you're saying we should cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit separate from Christ. You know, like you have a relationship with Christ and then you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Um, But the Holy Spirit doesn't want that. The Holy Spirit wants to exalt Christ. The Holy Spirit wants to be in the background and not to be in the center of attention. And I thought that was a really helpful comment. I, th- I think I agreed with it, with the comment that was uh, given. And so um, that's what I wanted to do for um, the most part this morning, um, or at least for most of the time this morning, is uh, to, to look at some scriptures that talk about the connection of the Holy Spirit to Christ himself, because that's really true. Um we don't cultivate a separate relationship with the Holy Spirit. Really, the Holy Spirit wants the focus to be on Christ, on the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to exalt Christ. That's God's purpose for the history of the world from start to finish is to exalt Christ. And the Holy Spirit, even in the work that He does in us and the way that He cooperates and changes, does the work of transformation in us is really calling attention to Christ Himself. And so I think that's helpful. Um, especially in describing this kind of nebulous thing of walking by the Holy Spirit, um, it's it's to care about what He cares about, but what He cares about most is Christ, and exalting the Lord Jesus Christ, and and for you knowing God through Christ, knowing God as He's represented Himself in Christ. And when you start doing that, the Holy Spirit comes around from behind, um, behind the scenes, so to speak, and uh, pushes you towards um, uh, all the transformation that comes from from that. So the Holy Spirit's work is uh, very much focused on and integrated with Christ. And um, the revelation of Christ, and as we struggle to understand what it means to be led by the Spirit, to be filled by the Spirit, it's kind of a nebulous topic, but uh, Christ is kind of the tent peg that nails it down, what it means and gives it a focus uh, of what it means. And I, So I think that's a, a very helpful way of um focusing our minds so that we're walking by the Spirit and being led by the Spirit and being filled by the Spirit. Um, One place where this is made clear, maybe most clear, and I'll show you a number of scriptures, but is in the Upper Room Discourse. Um, And so let me turn to a a couple of of these passages where the Lord um, tells the disciples, I'm leaving, but I'm sending another who's like me. Uh, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm sending and it's going to be better for you because his his ministry is going to be powerful uh, in such a way that's even better than me being here. I, I think with the idea of me being here before I go to the cross. Um, and um, so uh, he tells his disciples uh, this about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and of course they're you know, barely understanding what he's saying. They're just kind of mourning that he's leaving. And I don't, I don't think they're hearing a lot of this, but that's part of what he's saying too. the Holy spirit is going to bring to mind things that I've taught you and help you to understand them and to accept them and to uh, walk in them. So John chapter 16, verse 13 through 15. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own initiative and uh, this is maybe the clearest statement that the Holy Spirit doesn't want to be the center of attention. Um, what it literally says is he will not speak of himself. He will not speak from himself is the idea, but uh, in a way that calls attention to himself. He's not going to speak from himself. He will not speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. Okay, so he's not, he's not gonna speak on his own initiative. He's not not gonna speak of himself. But what he hears, he's gonna speak, and here's what he's gonna speak. He will glorify me. For he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. That's a great description of the Holy Spirit's ministry. He takes the things that are Christ's. And he discloses it to us. He he um, uh, uh, conveys it um, to us in a way that transforms us. But the focus is always Christ. He will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Everything that the Father has in store for us is accomplished through Christ and shown to us through the work of Christ. Therefore, I said that He takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So that's that's maybe the best statement. Of um, this aspect of the Holy Spirit that he wants to work from behind the scenes. He doesn't want to take the center stage, he wants Christ to take the center stage. In some ways, he waits for Christ to take the center stage in the cross and the resurrection before he does this work of coming um, and doing this uh, transforming work in the lives of uh, believers. Um, John 15:26 should just be right across the page. Um, similarly, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify about me and you will testify also because you've been with me from the beginning. So the Holy spirit, um, when he comes, he's going to testify about Christ. That's, that's going to be his main concern is, uh, Christ directing attention to Christ, testifying about Christ. He's going to testify about me and you will too, because you're going to be, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You're going to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. You're going to be influenced by doing the same thing that he's doing. And so you will testify about me um, also. So to be um, indwelt and helped by the Holy Spirit is to want to testify about Christ because that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to uh, testify um, about Christ um, as well. Um, one question that comes up, and I've already kind of alluded to it a little bit, is... Um, and bible teachers like to discuss this question or write chapters and books on it um what was the holy spirit's ministry like in the old testament and uh, sometimes when when uh, when that's preached people kind of um roll their eyes because we don't live in the old testament you know so it's sort of well this is kind of bible trivia you know we we didn't we don't live uh, in that time we live in this time so what is the holy spirit's ministry like um here but i think actually it's not just um you know, a trivial pursuit, um, to figure out what the, um, the, um, Holy Spirit's ministry was like in the old Testament, but it also yields an important insight because basically the Holy Spirit's ministry was restrained in some way in the old Testament. It's not as full as it is after Pentecost where Christ ascends to the father after the death and resurrection of Christ and pours out the spirit that was poured out on him at his baptism. And, uh, we have a, uh, New covenant ministry of the Holy Spirit that the prophets talked about, future tense. there's coming a day when the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on uh, the people to obey my statutes and to obey my commandments, because my spirit will live in um, my uh, people. But uh, I, the, I think the insight that it reveals about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit's ministry could not be full until after Christ accomplished our salvation, because the Holy Spirit, what he wants to do is to draw attention not to himself, but to Christ. And so when the ministry of Christ comes in its fullness and is accomplished, so that there's uh, something for the Holy Spirit to testify about as news, something that has uh, happened and not just something we're waiting for and we have some details about um, in advance, um, now the Holy Spirit can work with all his power transform with all his power by drawing our attention to Christ and what um, he has done. And so it's, that's sort of the reason for the Holy Spirit's um, restraint in that way. Let me show you a couple of verses that um, kind of talk about this difference. John chapter 14, verse um, 16 and 17. It's the upper room discourse again, like the other verses I've read. Uh, chapter 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Um, the disciples had an interesting experience because they existed as Old Testament believers. They truly believed in Christ um, during Christ's ministry with the Old Testament ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then they also existed after Pentecost. They lived before and after Pentecost with the um um, new covenant ministry of the Holy Spirit after that. And um, I think the Lord's referring to this as he calls, says to his disciples, you know him, you know the Holy Spirit, you've experienced his ministry because he abides with you, but he will be in you. And so that's that's a difference, and you can see a, there's a difference in closeness there. The Holy Spirit is with you, but he's going to be even closer. His influence is even going to be more accessible to you because he's going to be in you. Um, and that's after the day of um, Pentecost. Um, and also he says in that same verse, I will give you another helper that he will be with you forever. He's going to come and stay in you and he's never going to leave. He's never going to leave. That's different uh, from the the um, the Holy Spirit's ministry in the Old Testament, which was a little more distant. It seems to be it could be temporary. So the Holy Spirit could come on someone and then leave them. You can read about that like uh, Samson, you know, the Holy Spirit came upon him. He accomplished something mighty, but then then left him, and didn't seem to make much of a difference um, in his life, especially as it relates to um, holiness. That influence of uh, the Holy Spirit, um, and that seems typical uh, of the Holy Spirit's ministry in the Old Testament for Saul, you know, kings and, and things like that. Um, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament seemed to equip people for special tasks. You know, even um, Aholiab and Bezalel. Um, you know, they were the Holy Spirit helped them with artistry to make all the things in the tabernacle, and uh, maybe um, came and helped them to do that task, and then and then withdrew Himself. Maybe they 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 couldn't. Uh, they did that once, and that didn't mean that they could do it again or do things that were like it. Again, the Holy Spirit equipped them for that um, special task, and the Holy Spirit's ministry seems to be partial in the old testament maybe in a couple ways um, he doesn't seem to have um, manifested himself in everyone that was saved in in a very powerful way i think he had to be he has to make you alive in order to be regenerate and so in that sense it was in everyone but his special work that is noticed in the old testament and taken note of seems to be with kings and with prophets and with judges and with special people for special tasks like aholiab and uh Bel, Belzalel, did I say it right? Um, the other one that was making, uh, the, uh, the tabernacle and not in all of God's people. But in, in the, uh, New Testament times, it's in, um, all of God's, uh, uh, people. So, um, the Holy Spirit's, um, ministry was restrained before the cross and the resurrection of Christ, before Christ himself took the center stage, um, and showed us, um, God the Father. Uh, before us, and then the Holy Spirit comes in, uh, in in his ministry in a special way with us and in us amplifies that. Um, it's also not obvious in the Old Testament. If you just have the Old Testament, you read through it and read through about the Holy Spirit's work, and you'd read about Samson, you'd read about Saul, you'd read about the two guys that were making uh, things in the the tabernacle and others um, as well. Probably would not be obvious to you if you just had the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit is a distinct person from the Father, right? From uh, so because it just says the Spirit of God came upon him, and so you wouldn't necessarily think of a distinct person of God. You just say, well, okay, well, there's well, one God. They're commanded to worship one God, and the Spirit of that one God came upon you know Samson, uh, so to speak. And so um, the idea of the Trinity is not obvious in um, the Old uh, Testament. And um, the way that God teaches us the Trinity is by teaching us about salvation. You know, and often um, Bible teachers, they don't start there. Um, They start with, you know, what is three? What is one? God is three in a way that He's not one. What's the person in essence? And they start talking about this like you're like you're in a math class, you know. <laughs> and it's it's like, well, why do I need to know this? How does this make sense? Um, that's a, that's a way of teaching, and that, that is a way of grappling with the way that the church an important way with the way that the church has put it all together. But it's actually not God's method of teaching. God's method of teaching the Trinity is to teach you about salvation. That teach you about the Father sending the Son to the cross and pouring out His wrath upon the Son and the Son ascending and uh, pouring out the Holy Spirit that's upon Him. And now, oh, now I see that there's three persons and, and you see it only in the context of, um, of salvation. Um, and uh, that, that's how God uh, shows us and that's the point of our salvation is that we would come to know God as he is. In fact, we're called into fellowship. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ prayed in uh, John chapter 17, and he gave the purpose of our salvation is that we would know God um, as he is. This is, uh, even as you have given him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. That's what the, he's praying for to his father in this high priestly prayer. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And he goes on to talk about how that um, we are called into the same fellowship that the father has with the son and um, uh, with the spirit. And so the whole point of our salvation is to know God as three in one. And the salvation itself is what teaches us that he is father and son and um uh holy spirit. So um it's it's for that reason I think that the holy spirit ministry uh is delayed until it's very clear um that the the father uh, and the sent the son to be our salvation and he wants to exalt um uh, the son by his work. And now the Holy Spirit can be shown as a distinct person as he um, exalts the son according to the, the finished work of um, salvation. So it's not until the gospel is clearly revealed that the Holy Spirit does his work of indwelling uh, all uh, believers in an especially um, powerful way because his The point is to work through the gospel of Christ and to draw attention to um, the gospel of Christ. John chapter 7, I meant to read this one already. John chapter 7 and verse um, 37 to 39 It's kind of a climactic moment in Jesus' ministry on uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So he talks about if you believe in me, the scripture is going to be fulfilled in you that talks about from your innermost being, uh, rivers of living water, a fountain of life flowing out of you in a cleansing fountain, like transformation uh, coming out of you. But this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive... For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So, and um, what it literally says is, the Spirit was not yet for, because Jesus was not yet uh, glorified. And my translation kind of smooths it out, makes it a little less shocking of a statement, and uh, gives probably what the real meaning is. For the Spirit was not yet, and then my translation has in italics the word given. He was not yet given. Um, it says the spirit was not yet. It doesn't mean that the spirit didn't exist yet, but it means that the, the, the new covenant ministry, um, this intensified ministry that the Lord is talking about when he talks about rivers of living water flowing out of your being for everybody who uh, believes um, in Christ, that ministry had not taken place yet. And why not? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so the Holy Spirit was not able to call attention to the finished work of Christ yet. That's the way he does this. That's the way in which he accomplishes rivers of water uh, flowing out from you is pointing to the finished work of Christ, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension to God and us relating to God through um, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the Christ again is the focus of uh, the Holy Spirit's um, ministry. Let me try to give an example of Christ being the focus of the Holy Spirit's ministry in us. Um, and it also comes from the upper room discourse, John chapter 16 and verse seven. And this is one of the ministries that the Holy spirit has his convicting ministry, convicting ministry. That's the word that's used. It's a great word in scripture. It's translated, um, a number of different ways as it occurs in different, uh, contexts. But, um, the main idea of all the ways that the word is translated has to do with shame, has to do with shame. The Holy spirit, causes shame when he comes and it's part of the process of cleansing. Um, shame for a believer is actually turned into joy because of Christ, because we relate to God through uh, Christ. And yet um, that is uh, something that the Lord brings to us. The Holy Spirit brings a real shame, a real cleansing shame, not a shame that causes you to grovel in guilt and um, be distant from God, but actually a shame that causes you to draw near to God so that you're uh ashes can be turned into joy your um, your gloom to uh, uh rejoicing um, in that way but it's it's an important aspect to to really be ashamed of your sins to not just uh, say well I'm a sinner but to feel it to know that you're a sinner before god and that's what uh the lord transforms into life for um, uh believers and it, it can't be skipped but uh the holy spirit has that convicting ministry in us And he does it by directing our attention to Christ and to Christ's finished work on the cross. That's what actually causes you to feel ashamed in a way that is that is a a blessing um, to you. And the Lord talked about this when he talked about the Holy Spirit um, coming. Um, Well, I'll start all the way up in verse five, John, John 16, verse five. But now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. That's kind of all they could think about as the Lord's talking to them is that he's leaving. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. It's better that I go away, not in the sense that Christ be absent from them is good in itself, but the way that he goes away through the cross and the resurrection of what that reveals about God. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And he says, convict the world. Um, this convicting ministry is the leading edge of salvation. And so in that sense, it's a, a ministry to the world, to those who are converted uh, but I think it's a ministry to it's its ongoing. It never stops in the life of a disciple. As long as we're sinning, he has this convicting ministry uh, uh, to us. And so I, I take this as being ongoing, a ministry to the world. Yes, because the gospel goes out to the world, a ministry to disciples that is ongoing. Convict the world, bring to shame. This is the convicting ministry concerning three things concerning sin, righteousness and judgment. And then he goes on to explain all three how the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And these are a little hard to follow. People have a little different ideas uh, about exactly how the Holy Spirit does this. But what I want you to see at least is that every single aspect of the Holy Spirit's convicting ministry, how he convicts concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment, focuses on Christ. He convicts us by focusing us not even just on the sin itself, but the sin in light of what Christ has done. For us, and that's what causes us to really see the same, see the sin for what it is, and feel it for what it is. So, um, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, well, that's that's odd. Um, yeah, that's the way he brings to shame concerning sin, is when it's seen in the context of maybe the worst sin of all, which is unbelief. That the Father would send His own Son to the cross to die for sinners. It's a message that is almost too good to be true, and yet it is true. And that we'd reject it. We'd be resistant to it. And that's a, a way to see all of your sin come to life. You see it for the ugliness it is. For the rebellion it is that it's expressed in disbelief. Well, he's, gods he's I know God sent his son, but he's not telling me the truth. I'm, I'm suspicious of his uh, motives. And so this is where sin kind of is seen for what it is and brings to shame. It's, it's uh, in light of the finished work of Christ. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me... Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you no longer see me. And this one is a little hard to understand, and I don't know if I've even totally grasped it. Uh, God's righteousness, we usually think in terms of his justice, that he punishes every sin, and that is an aspect of his righteousness, and that's often what's meant. But there's another way in which Scripture often uses righteousness. Uh, righteousness is the idea of fully measuring up to like a standard, to like a weight or a measure um, And um, there's a a second way, and that is that when God promises to save, he's not righteous until he does it, (laughs) until he measures up to that um, standard. I think perhaps that's the way it's being used um, here. He's going to put the world to sin concerning righteousness, God's righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. In other words, God has measured up to everything that he promised about salvation. When you see God, Not only is he just in all of his ways, but he's measured up to all of his promises of mercy because, and the proof is that um, he sent his son and he's gone to the father with his finished work. He's no longer seen, he's absent because his work is finished. And so the God that we're rebelling against in sin is a righteous God, a God who's measured up to every single promise of mercy and that should melt your heart and cause you to put you to shame for sinning against such a God um, as him. And concerning judgment, Because the ruler of this world has been judged. And the ruler of this world, Satan, he's judged at the cross. There's an aspect of Christ's work on the cross, which is the destruction of Satan. uh, The Lord Jesus said, I came to destroy the works of the devil. Right? I think that's in 1 John chapter 3. Um, Actually, Christ came to destroy the works of the devil and he did it at the cross. And so, again, that's another reason to be put to shame. Even the worst sinner, the devil, has been judged at the cross, and so have I. The cross, if I, if I don't repent uh, of my sin and trust in uh, Christ, is uh, is uh, the death knell, is my doom. And so it causes a sinner to be put to shame because of Christ and because of his death on the cross um, and because of what that means. And so the Lord says, if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come, and he can't have this convicting ministry with great power of convicting ministry that all focuses on the finished work of Christ and what it means um, about uh, God. So um, this is the way in which the Holy Spirit brings a spirit of shame to a believer in a good way, in a good way, um, by pointing to Christ. And I think it's, a, it's one aspect of the Holy Spirit's ministry, but it's an example. It's true of all of the Holy Spirit's ministry. It's how also he brings joy is by pointing to Christ's work on the cross, not just shame or love. In in our hearts um, by pointing to Christ and his finished work or peace or self-control, all the aspects or assurance, you know, all the things that the Holy Spirit um, brings and the influence that he has on us. He does by directing our attention to um, Christ. Uh, Romans eight, verse nine. Another scripture that kind of um, shows the connection between the Holy Spirit and Christ Romans 8, verse 9, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through whose Spirit who dwells in you. So there's a lot said here. But actually, I only want to direct your attention to one little phrase here, and it's in verse nine, where the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Christ. And it's kind of an awkward name for the Holy Spirit because it kind of mixes two persons of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit and Christ himself, who are are normally kept um, distinct. Um, The Holy Spirit here is mentioned a number of times. He's called the Spirit of Christ, but he's also called the Spirit of the Father. He's the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. Um, as well. Uh, but here he's called the spirit of, the spirit who indwells us is the spirit of Christ. And in what sense is he the spirit of Christ? Why is he called that? Is he Christ's human spirit? No. <laughs> that's not what he's uh, referring to. Um, Christ had a human spirit. He had everything that we have as a, hu- he was a full human being. And so there's a, a sort of a saying that's helpful. What Christ did not assume, it's human he didn't redeem so he had to assume every aspect of being a human being soul a body and a spirit christ had a human spirit and uh so when he wanted i think his last words on the cross father into thy hands i commit my spirit myself um but he's that he's talking about his human spirit and when the holy spirit came upon him um, he didn't, the, at his baptism, the Holy Spirit didn't um, replace his human spirit and then drive him around, you know, <laughs> in that sense. Um, the, I think the Holy Spirit interacted with his human spirit just because Christ is the example for us being led by this Holy Spirit. Christ was led by the Holy Spirit as well and and had the ministry of the Holy Spirit upon him as a human being. So when it says, um, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, it's not talking about Christ's human spirit. That's distinct. That's... that. Uh, belongs to christ it's talking about the holy spirit but the holy spirit is so associated with christ that he can be called the spirit of christ in the same way that he's called the spirit of um, the father so i'm not sure exactly what paul's getting at by calling it the spirit of christ here perhaps you know the holy spirit in his new covenant ministry was first poured out on christ at his baptism and then Christ accomplished our salvation, went up to the right hand of the Father and poured it out on his people on the day of Pentecost. And so in that sense, the Spirit is so associated with Christ and the, the new covenant work of the Holy Spirit is so associated with Christ himself, um, that he's called here the Spirit of Christ. Not meant to confuse the Trinity, but meant to tether the Holy Spirit in his uh, work to Christ himself. And then, um, Ephesians chapter five, And verse 18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So here's a a really important New Testament Command for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why we're having this lesson. Proper adjustment to the indwelling Holy Spirit is a command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're trying to grapple with what that means. Um, Ephesians and Colossians are kind of parallel letters. Um, one, one is the rough draft for the other. Or, um, but uh, uh, And so Colossians can be um, kind of a commentary on Ephesians or parallel at least with um, Ephesians. And this is a part where the two letters are very much parallel and you'll be able to catch it. But uh, instead of saying, be filled with the spirit, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit, as he says in Ephesians, when he gets to this part in Colossians, he says something else, something parallel, something closely related and something about Christ. Um, He says, uh, Colossians 3 verse uh, 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. So in Ephesians, he said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Colossians, he says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I'm hoping you're catching how it's parallel. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to him through God the Father. So singing, giving thanks, and then submitting. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is um, fitting to the Lord. So, those are not completely synonymous. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So they're not totally interchangeable. So you say, okay, if you want to know what it is to be filled with the Spirit, just let the word of Christ dwell with, within you richly and forget about being filled with the Spirit because you're doing the same thing. They're they're not exactly the same, but they're overlapping. <laughs> they're overlapping. They're very much closely related, They're very, which is why they are... Um, parallel. So again, you can see the connection between being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is kind of a uh, nebulous thing in some ways to get our arms around something we're meant to um, grapple with, and then knowing God in Christ, letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And if you're letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, um, you are um, certainly in the realm of being filled with uh, the Holy Spirit as well. One is a, a window into into um, the other. Okay, I'm looking at the clock. I've got some things to get through. I'm to have to edit on the fly um, a little bit. Um, so the Holy Spirit does not desire to take the center stage. He certainly doesn't desire to act independently of Christ. And I hope those scriptures have kind of nailed that down uh, for you. The Holy Spirit wants to remain in the background. The Holy Spirit wants to remain in the background as Christ is exalted and uh, preeminent in all uh, things. How much does the Holy Spirit want to remain in the background? Um, and here I think the answer is not so much that the Holy Spirit wants to be totally anonymous or totally unknown or totally um, unacknowledged, um, which is why we're not just told, well, follow Christ, do the best that you can, and then you get to heaven and you find out. Well, the reason why you were able to do that is because uh, the Holy Spirit was indwelling you, and as you were trying your best to follow Christ, the Holy Spirit was within you and He was helping you. you say, "Oh, okay, I never knew that." And you say, "Well, yeah, that's because the Holy Spirit doesn't want to be the, the center of attention. Um, he, it's true, He doesn't want to be the center of attention. But we are told about the Holy Spirit. We need to know about the Holy Spirit, and so um, He's in the background." He's um, uh, kind of one step removed from being the very center of attention in Scripture. And yet we're given responsibilities that have to do with the Holy Spirit. He's not hiding himself from our view. He's telling us now about, or Scripture is telling us now about the Holy Spirit's presence with us and our responsibility to cooperate with the Holy Spirit's presence. So we're given the command in, in several places to walk by the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, To sow to the spirit. That was a new one for me. That's a a passage that I skipped. Let me read it. It's Galatians. Chapter six and verse seven. Uh, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So we're to sow to the Spirit. Another word picture: it's you know a farmer spreading his seed, and that's what we're to do to the Spirit. We're to we're to uh, cooperate with the Spirit, and we do. We're planting seeds for the future that we that will be uh, reaped. We're to pray in the Spirit. That always creates questions. How do I do that? Pray in the Holy Spirit. Um, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And don't quench uh, the Holy Spirit. So these are these are given not as something you shouldn't know about, but as responsibilities of um, the Christian life. So are you doing those things? Are you walking by the Spirit? Are you sowing to the Spirit? Are you being led by the Holy Spirit? Do you pray in the Holy Spirit? Um, do you avoid grieving the Spirit? Do you avoid um, quenching uh, the Holy Spirit? Um, you're to put yourself cooperating with the influence of um, the Holy Spirit. And uh, there's a couple of ways that this can be portrayed that I think can kind of remove the Holy Spirit and remove these responsibilities. One is where it becomes totally active in the sense of, well, you just do the things that you're supposed to do. Do the things that you're commanded in the Christian life. Walk as well as you can. And then uh, after you've done it, you say, well, the Holy Spirit, I couldn't have done it without the Holy Spirit's help. But there's no real focus on the Holy Spirit. There's just a focus on actively pursuing the things of um, the Holy Spirit. Um, in that, If you're thinking of it in that way, it would be almost like the same as having a new nature. You've been given new capabilities. So you say, well, the Holy Spirit dwells in me. And what I need to know from that is I've, I have the ability to do things that I couldn't do before. And uh, I couldn't do that unless the Holy Spirit was there giving them uh, to me um, it's not just the same as having a new nature as to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit what the Lord promised about the Holy Spirit is I will not leave them orphans so it's not just having a new nature that's important as well and it does give you new uh, capabilities but this is in addition to the new nature is that you're also given the Holy Spirit to dwell uh, within you and uh, you're he doesn't just absorb into your nature he's separate uh, from you. He dwells in you. He's with you um all the time. Um dwells uh in us, but is also separate from you. So that when uh scripture talks about the Holy Spirit uh giving assurance, it talks about the Holy Spirit testifying with your spirit that you are a child of God, meaning something separate from you. And I think that's uh important uh as an encouragement to us when you look at let's say sin and the struggle with sin, is that you're not alone in that. It's not just what you see is what you get. And there's a conflict between um, uh, our new nature and uh, the sin that still plagues us. But there's someone else there too, the Holy Spirit, and he's more powerful. And so that's why it's important to walk by the the Holy Spirit. And um, there's a, a relationship uh, to it. And it's not just like having the new nature so that to be filled with the Spirit is to forget about him and just pursue the Christian life and uh, he will uh, be there. It's also not totally passive to where you say, well, the Holy Spirit's going to help me and... There's nothing I can do about it. He's just gonna come over me. Like, he, like sometimes, like he's described doing in the Old Testament, like Samson, where he just kind of comes over. Um, uh, Samson. Um, and I think there's aspects of, of um, in which the Holy Spirit does do that for us sometimes. That just, he just comes upon us and empowers us to do that. Luke chapter 12 talks about, don't study for what you're gonna say. When you're persecuted and you have to testify about me because the Holy Spirit at that hour is going to give you the words to say. And so I think the idea is don't spend a lot of time preparing for, you know, exactly how you're going to respond when you're in this um, situation. Because the Holy Spirit's going to he's going to come upon you and he's going to help you. He's going to and you're going to be kind of passive in that. It's just all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's going to come uh, upon you. But I don't think that's what it is to walk by the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, just to, to wait and do nothing and wait for the Holy Spirit to empower to you to do something that you uh, couldn't do before. And so I, I think we tend to reduce things to either something that's totally active where I'm doing everything and I just forget about the Holy Spirit because it's just a given that he's going to be with me or totally passive where I don't do anything and just wait for um, the Holy Spirit where I think it's actually both both active and passive. We're, cont- we're participating with the Holy Spirit. We're making effort towards the things that the Holy Spirit cares about, but then also waiting uh, for the Holy Spirit to respond to us or even to initiate with us and in combination with what we um, are doing um, as well. So um, that, that's kind of my thought in trying to put uh, some of that um, into words. Um Maybe my final encouragement is when you think about walking by the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit, uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit, you might think of a lonely task, something individual. Um, but it's actually done and it's described as being done in a group, in a group. So the command, I'll read it one more time. I've read it before about being filled with um, the Holy Spirit. It's, uh, it's given to a group. And so is the command to be led by the Holy Spirit in Galatians and to bear fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's given to a group of people that are in danger of biting and devouring one another. It says, don't do not do that and fulfill the lust of the flesh, but uh, be led by the Holy Spirit, bear fruit of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I'll, I'll just read it in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with Holy Spirit. So be influenced by the Holy Spirit. Open yourself to the Holy Spirit's. Um, influence, act in such a way that the Holy Spirit is going to uh, fill you um, as well. And here's how to do it: speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So when you think of being filled by the Holy Spirit, this is kind of my final exhortation for you. Think of it, at least in part and in large part even, as a group project. As something that we're doing not just individually, you are to do it individually, but also that we're doing together and we're helping one another to do together. And that the Holy Spirit's influence on us and what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit is amplified by what we do together. Like singing, like speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and encouraging one another. And so the church gathered should be a place Alive with the Holy Spirit or just your fellowship with another believer is uh, another part of what it means to submit yourself to the influence and participate with the Holy Spirit um, in um, the influence of the Holy Spirit. And certainly hearing the word of God, which we do um, with our by ourselves, but also with uh, one another um, as well. So um, I hope that's an encouragement to be walking by the Holy Spirit. When I went to um, Israel, I remember my one of the professors there, he had a discipleship group for the guys. and you know, I remember at the very beginning he said, I want you guys to choose and focus um, either on knowing the Father or on being rooted in Christ or on walking by the Spirit. I remember him saying that. And I immediately thought, well, I want to know what it is to walk by the Holy Spirit. And uh, I'm not sure how helpful it was to divide it up, but I appreciate at least the challenge of that. And I think if you, whatever of those you choose, you're going to find they're related and you're going to find they exalt Christ uh, first of all. And then you come to know God as Father and you come to walk in uh, the Holy Spirit. But uh, let me just leave you with a, a similar challenge we're having in these months at, at church, a focus on discipleship, a focus on the responsibilities of a Christian growing in those responsibilities, and uh, helping one another to grow in those uh, responsibilities. So as you focus on discipleship, I hope you'll also focus on learning what it is to walk by the Holy Spirit, what it is to walk by the Holy Spirit and be filled by the Holy Spirit. And uh, as you do that, you'll find, and this is my main point for this morning's message, it's not something that's distant from Christ. It's something that is going to draw you, the Holy Spirit is going to draw you closer to Christ. And that's, that is that uh, is the purpose of walking by the Spirit, and that's what it means to walk uh, by the Spirit as well. Okay, my time is gone, so I'm just going to close in prayer. Father, we pray that you would um, teach us to walk by the Spirit. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell richly in us. We pray that we would know the Father Through What you've revealed to us in Christ and walk in that and uh, because of that that we would be walking under the influence of our relationship with the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so we pray that the Holy Spirit would accomplish his work of uh, transformation in us. We thank you for the promise that the Holy Spirit is with us forever that he never leaves us and that your work will be completed. Uh, Teach us what it means to walk by the Spirit to be led by the Spirit, to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Help us to teach each other this. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.